morning, church. All right. How did Ezra say? Good morning, church. All right, that was... You guys liked him more. That's cool. Um, my name is Justin, one of the elders here at Peninsula Grace, and excited to jump in to a new series this morning. We're going to be walking through the book of Daniel. Uh, this will be a 10-week series that will take us through the rest of the summer. And uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel begins in exile. There is this group of Jewish people who have been captured by the Babylonians. And so this group of Jews who worship Yahweh now find themselves as a minority. They're living in a culture uh, whose values are foreign and even hostile to their God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And one of our, the main reasons that we're choosing this book as our next uh, study as a family is because we believe that this relates so closely to how we're living in the, the world that we're living in today. Sociologists say that we are living in a post Christian society. We're living in a post-Christian world, and I am just a post-Christian girl, right? Or boy, I don't, it's, anyway. Um, we, post-Christianity is essentially the idea uh, of, of a society where Christianity was at one point, but is no longer the dominant civil uh, religion of that society. Um, and and uh, basically, say it this way, where now followers of Jesus are in the minority, where the dominant values of the current culture are alien, hostile, maybe you've said, hey, we just moved beyond God, moved beyond Jesus. And so like Daniel and his Jewish cohorts, we find ourselves in a type of exile. And throughout this series, we're going to talk about two pitfalls that we can um, experience as we navigate how to live in exile. The first one is separatism. This is the idea of living separate, that if we can just kind of get a Christian bubble and stay in our Christian church and eat our Christian food and do our Christian thing, then we can be uncontaminated by the world, right? If we can kind of go Amish, right, living in an Amish paradise, then we'll be fine. Or maybe we can hang out with uh, Maria and her friends in the convent, uh, that we can hunker down in some sort of bunket bunker with giant cans of tuna and just wait till Jesus comes back. But here's the problem with that approach. We can't stay on mission, right? We're called to go into the world to make disciples of all nations. We can't do that if we're not among the nations. If, if someone's not within earshot of our proclamation of the gospel, how are they going to hear it? If they're not in arm's reach of our cold cup of water, how will they know the love of Jesus? Separatism won't work. But then we can go the other way. The other extreme would be what we'd call syncretism. Syncretism is this idea of being a totally assimilated into the culture, swallowed up, where you look no different than the culture you're living in. So syncretism, think sync, right? You're in sync with something. We're telling God, bye, 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 right? Um, oh, do we go back to the 90s, right? I actually think this one is the much more common pitfall uh, for us today, more than separatism. How many of us maybe have worked at our job or wherever we've been for years, and maybe people don't even know that we're a believer, do we look any different? Do we talk any different? Do we act any different than the world around us? Or do we just simply blend in? Can you guys spot the animal in the picture there? You guys, how about this? This is a harder one. Can you spot the lady in the carpet, right? Can you see? <laughs> Can't even know. And this one, this is an adorable way to, to blend in, but still, it's from Satan. Don't do it, okay? So um, we, 
Actually, there is actually a third way, and I, and I hope that we don't get to this point too, but there, there's also the sword, uh, where we would push back. This is what happened with the Crusades, right? Where we kind of have a brave heart. You can take away our church, but you can't take our freedom. And, and maybe it's actually fighting back physically, which is certainly not the teaching of Jesus, or even just fighting back verbally, screaming at each other over uh, Facebook, social media. That is not what the king has called us into. So the question is, how do we live in the world right? Avoiding separatism. We got to be in the world to reach the lost while, uh, while not becoming of the world. Also avoiding syncretism, looking and becoming just like the world that we live in. Or maybe to ask it this way, how do you and I live faithfully in exile following the way of Jesus without compromising our, our faith in Jesus. Well, Daniel 1 is going to teach us, I see three principles that can instruct us how to live faithfully in exile. Number one, really, you've got to remember who is really on the throne. Remember who really is on the throne. So the book of Daniel, kind of the curtain comes up, it opens up, Daniel chapter one, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Judah in particular, is finding themselves uh, to be taken captive by the Babylonians into exile. Now at this time, Babylon is the greatest city of the greatest empire, the Babylonian empire, that the world had ever known. Um, they are capturing and collecting other nations, uh, like my brother used to collect stuffed monkeys. Uh, he had this stuffed animal monkey collection, which he said wasn't a collection. When he was a kid, he said, I just get them and I keep them, right? Very different than a collection, Jeremy. Uh, so we, Daniel opens with their newest stuffed monkey, Israel. Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it taking uh, the nation of Judah. And verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So now, why this detail here about taking the vessels, these like, kind of holy silverware? Why do we need to know about this kind of random detail? Well, the Hebrew writers don't give us random details, so what's going on here? In the ancient Near East, everything was seen as spiritual. So to defeat your nation was also to defeat your God. You're dragging off their God's stuff, bringing it into your God's temple. When you're a kid and you said, my dad can beat up your dad, what they're essentially telling Israel is our gods can beat up your God. And so here you have the world's ultimate superpower claiming their gods have defeated Yahweh. But what the author of Daniel wants to tell us here in this first chapter is Yahweh is actually very much still on the throne. Because the reason Babylon was, was able to carry off Israel was not primarily because they had a bigger army. Or because their gods won some divine arm wrestling match over the God of Yahweh. What we actually see in chapter 1, if we have eyes to see it, is that this is part of God's faithfulness to his own character, God's faithfulness to his own promises. Did you notice the little word there in verse 2? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into their hands, gave these vessels. Nebuchadnezzar didn't take these things. God gave them to him. And why would he do that? Why would God give his nation into the hands of Babylon? Well, if you remember the big story of the Bible, why did God called Abraham and his family out from among the nations? Said, I want you to show the way of, to the world of what it looks like to really worship me, to walk in love with your God and your neighbor. They're called to be a light. 
to, to bring the whole world back to God through, through Israel. But, but what, and what did he tell them before they ever answer, entered into the promised land? He said, listen, Israel, if you will trust me and obey me, I will bless you. My favor will be upon you. Your crops will thrive. You'll stay in the land. You'll defeat your enemies. But if you don't obey me, if you don't trust me, if you go the way of the world, then I'll send you into the world. Like, I, I, I will curse you. Your co- crops will die. Your enemies will take you over and you'll be driven out of the land. And that's exactly what's happening in Daniel 1. God is being faithful to his promise to Israel and what would happen when they distrusted him and disobeyed him. God is being faithful to judge sin. King Nebuchadnezzar's not on the throne. Ultimately, God is. Babylon's not in control of the world. God still is. Now, that's not altogether a comforting truth, is it? Because part of God's faithfulness is his promise to judge sin justly. But we also see here God's faithfulness is this, to judge sin is also an encouragement because that same God could and would ultimately bring them back. Because he made him another promise two chapters later in Deuteronomy. He said, while you, are in the, in, while you are in all the nations where the Lord has driven you, including Babylon, check this out, and you return to the Lord, your God, and obey him. When you repent, when you turn back to God and say, God, (laughs) we worship you alone. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, I love that, you cannot be too exiled. He will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord, your God, will bring you back into the land. God's faithfulness to them is what sent them into Babylon in the first place. It's the same faithfulness that will ultimately bring them back. And we see that. If you keep reading the story in Ezra chapter 1, we see the promise fulfilled that God brings the people and these vessels back into Jerusalem. God, listen, God will always do as he promises. and He will ultimately not abandon his own. This is the first thing we need to know. If we're going to live faithfully in exile without compromise, it's not knowing our faithfulness to God. It's actually knowing God's faithfulness to us. And this is a comfort. This is a truth that can bring us comfort when we are in the hard moments. I don't know what season you're in right now. Maybe you felt like you're, you're in the hands of somebody else who's mistreating you at your job or in your home. Maybe you have felt the, the weariness of a political system that is just scary to live within right now. Maybe you're feeling like Satan's punching bag and you felt all sorts of shame and condemnation and struggle where you're at. Well, for all, all those situations, the comfort is to be reminded that our God is still on the throne and our God is still faithful. That's a comfort that he is sovereignly using all the things in our lives as divine ingredients to make us more like Jesus, to help us flourish in the world. Where do you need to hear that truth this morning? It's also a sobering reminder. This comes as a warning because God is faithful to judge sin. And there is, listen, there's this ultimate exile for those who will not trust and obey Yahweh as their king, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. A sobering reminder for us and for those that we know that have not yet bowed the knee to Yahweh. So next, we're going to meet these four young men in Babylon by, as we've seen here, by the will of God. So number one, remember who's really on the throne. Number two, resolve, resolve not 
to compromise, resolved not to compromise. Let's pick the story back up in verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, so again, anybody looking for baby names, you're welcome, uh, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the, the Chaldeans. So these are young men without defect, without blemish. All the single ladies just sat up a little bit straighter to listen to the story. Uh, they have also been carried off just like those vessels were. Now these are, think about this for a second, these are 14 to 17-year-olds. These are young men from Babylon who have been made eunuchs. To become a eunuch was to prevent them from cavorting with the uh, royal ladies in the palace. And if you don't know what a eunuch is or what it means to cavort, ask your mother after the service, right? Even if you're an adult, call her. I'm just, I don't want to talk about it right now. Um, Nebuchadnezzar wants these young men to become completely reprogrammed, to be um, brought under the, the thinking and the way of Babylon And so look at what he does. Here's his assimilation program. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the the, the, the king. So a three-year university. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar, and the names you might know these guys better by. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, notice it's Abednego, not Abednego, as we always say, all right? So just rebuking you for that. Um, so what we see, their old names were names that honored Yahweh, honored their God. These new names that they're giving them invoke the help of the Babylonian gods. You can see the way that they're assimilating. Babylon is taking subtle but very active approach to assimilating Daniel and his buddies into the ways of Babylon, educating them, getting them to eat the way that they eat, think the way they think, identify as the way they identify. You can see the slippery slope. So I imagine, I mean, just imagine a 14-year-old, right? Who's a, raise your hand if you're like 14 to 17 in here. Yeah, so imagine Isaiah Dixon, right, getting, getting carted off to North Korea or Russia or, or whatever. And you think about everything that you've known, everything that's familiar, all your family, all your friends are gone. And now you're in this hostile world. And that making them a eunuch is not only taking away your, your past identity, it's, it's directly affecting what your future is going to look like as well or won't look like. Can you imagine how scary would this be? How conf- these are real people, like in history. How, how confusing, how disorienting, how lonely. Like, how do you stay faithful in that kind of an environment? What, what promises, what do you hold on to in a situation that bleak? Now, I want to talk about Babylon for a minute, because Babylon is a real historic place, in place, in time. Um, but it's also God's symbol in the Bible of, of the kingdoms or the way of this world. Uh, it's more than just a city. In, 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 in the Bible, Babylon's this recurring symbol of any society that lives apart from and stands against God. Um, you start back in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel, it says in Genesis 11, is in the land of Shinar. Now, where do we see Babylon? It says in verse 2, it's in the land of Shinar. Babel, Babylon, you can see the Genesis of this, uh, of this land. In, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter uses... Uh, the word Babylon to refer, as a code name to refer to Rome. Why? Because Rome is kind of the new Babylon. It's walking in the ways of the Babylon, Babylon mindset. And then in Revelation, 
at the end of Revelation, Babylon is, is referred to, it, referring to the global economy of this world, the way of this world that is bought into hedonism, to making idols of luxury and pleasure and you know, things that we can't relate to in our culture today at all, right? So Babylon, in other words, it represents the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of God. But you and I know, as followers of Jesus, we are citizens not of this world and its system, but a kingdom of God. And so Peter, in that same book, he, he calls the believers then and us into action in light of where our real identity lies. First Peter, he says, dear friends, I urge you, and he had just called them a kingdom of priests, God's nation, he's calling out from all nations, as strangers and exiles in this world to do what? To abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Make no mistake, we're not playing a game. He says, these desires are raging against your soul. But notice what he says here. The battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not primarily against a, a specific type of government or a specific political system. It's the sinful desire that's raging inside of every human heart. That's where the true battle lies. And just like Babylon with Daniel, this, this sinful kingdom, and it wants our soul. And it's taking subtle but deadly tactics to work against us, to assimilate us into uh, this, this world's desires. So the question is, how do we become, how, we are citizens, most of, I think all of us, most of us here are citizens of the United States of America. So what does it look like to be a faithful citizen of this country in this world without giving way to those sinful desires? Or to say even more proactively, not just resisting those ways, but actively shining the light of Jesus into the dominion of darkness. Let's learn from Daniel and, and, and see what we can walk in today. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So what's he saying? If you don't eat the king's food, which is what Daniel's asking, you're going to look like a mess, and then I'm going to be the one in trouble. So Daniel, I can't do that. Like, I, I got to watch out for my own head. Verse 11, Daniel said to the, to the steward uh, who had, hand, uh, had who been assigned over him and his buddies, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and, t and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he says, let's have a test. Let's see how we do versus those who are eating from the king's table. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, I guess that's a compliment, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So what's going on here? Why did we say, circle back to the beginning, why did Daniel resolve to not eat this food? How did he see that this would defile himself? Well, reading through commentaries this week, there is no clear answer on this. Like even people who are way smarter and studied the Bible a lot longer than me are like, we don't really know. So we're not going to be dogmatic about this. But we do know there are some things that this is not completely. First of all, this is not the latest weight loss program, okay? So don't read this and go, Water's in water and vegetables, it's in the Bible, right? We're like longing to exile some LBs, right? Try the Danny and reduce that fanny, right? That's not what, that's not what we're being called into. Uh, in fact, verse 15 says, they were they're eating the vegetables and drinking the water, they became fatter in flesh. 
So kids, you're welcome. You can tell your parents, actually, if we eat our vegetables, we'll get fatter, right? So the Bible says, let's have an Oreo instead, right? That one's for free. Uh, it wasn't. Now, we know it's not just, some might say, well, this violated the Jewish dietary system. Um, the law of Moses, what they're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. Well, maybe, but we know for sure wine is not on the restricted list in the Jewish diet. So it's definitely not just that the law of Moses forbade these particular types of food. We also know it's not just because they were sacrificed to idols. Some say, well, maybe, and we see that ongoing issue, the the, the wine was poured out as a libation to their gods, the, the meat sacrificed to idols. Problem is with that, all of those foods could just have likely gone down that route, whether it was vegetable or meat, so that wouldn't really make sense as a distinction. Um, I, I think what we're seeing here is it's not just that there's something, it's in the food, right? We're going we're to learn that throughout scripture. Jesus said, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out. That's the problem. And I think what Daniel is seeing here is this a total assimilation program that Babylon's trying to introduce. And I think Daniel sees this as one way, one opportunity to preserve his distinct identity, to say, I don't belong to Babylon. I don't belong to your gods. I belong to my God, to Yahweh. I am his image bearer. I follow him alone. And so the question for us then would be, how do we preserve our distinct identity in our own Babylon? And I want to suggest, it's kind of a, it's a tricky term, but we'll, we'll break it down, through what some have called convictional civility. Convictional civility. So let me explain. First of all, um, conviction. So Daniel followed his own conviction. He was convicted that eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine would defile him. And so because he was convicted about that, he acted on that, right? He was resolved to act on his convictions. And what's interesting here is this goes above and beyond what the law of Moses would have required. This isn't just obedience to God's law. This is actually, he says, I know my own heart. And I know if I start eating the food at the king's table, I know which direction that takes me. And and here's the thing. John Mark Comer said it this way, and I, I see this in my heart. I don't know if, if you relate to this. Often I err way too far on the side of freedom versus holiness. In in other words, a lot of times the question I'm asking myself is how much can I get away with? How much can I do and it's still not sin? How much before God wouldn't be upset with me or wouldn't destroy me? Like, what can I do? And I don't even think that's the right question. I think the question should be, what, how much can I be with Jesus and what can I do to, to be like Jesus? Like, that's the question. Right? Not how close can I get to some line, but, but man, where is Jesus and where's his heart in this? So some of us, I mean, what are some personal convictions that we need to act on? So let's step on some toes. So entertainment-wise, like I know my own heart. I know, guys, I cannot watch Game of Thrones. Like, I, I've seen the first episode, like, and I know my own heart and its proclivity to lust too much. Like, I know what would happen if I start going down that road. So my own conscience, my conviction says, can't watch that. Right? That's got to stay in, in, off the queue. We think about our approach to other things. We think about our approach to money. Like, I am a cheapskate through and through. I should have tattooed somewhere on my body, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? <laughs> Tattoo, that's another conviction area. <laughs> we won't go to. But man, like, I know, like, I, I just feel like if I can save all the money, I'll, I'll be secure. I don't even know what it is I think about that, but like the way that I can, I can get sucked into our world's mentality of finding money as a sense of control and security, not as a gift from God to give away. So there's some practices that Jill and I have had to walk into, like we need to give this away and be generous with it, right? Convicted about how to spend my money. What about my time? 
Man, we think about, we love, Babylon wants to tell us that our time is our time. And we work for the weekend, an early retirement, just life is good if our toes are in the sand or whatever. Listen, my time is God's time. And he says, the better way is to worship him with all of our time, to serve others in love with our time. So there's some convictions that I have built into my own life about how I spend my time wisely, not getting sucked into Babylon's way. But while these, listen, these are, from, these are convictions from the Holy Spirit based on God's word and his principles, but these don't become commands that I push on other people, right? So what, ha- what do I devolve into a Pharisee when I start to say what my conviction is is everybody's conviction. So it's a sin for anybody in this room to watch Game of Thrones. It's a sin for anybody to not give away X amount of dollars on a monthly basis. It's a sin for anybody to go on this many vacations. Like that's, that's, I'm following the convictions the Lord has given me, not pushing those on everybody else, which brings us to our second point. Not only do we follow our own convictions, we do so in a civilized manner to be convictionally civil. The word civil means to be a citizen, which relates to what we're talking about here. It also means to be courteous and polite, to be courteous and polite. So Daniel follows his convictions, but notice that he does so in a civil manner. Daniel is working within the system of Babylon that he's being placed into. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he asked the chief. He didn't put up some big stink. He wasn't raising arms and knocking over tables. He said, I, this is what I would like to do. I realize that you're over me, so I'm going to ask if I can do this. And then he says, test us. And you can see if this is the better way or not. He's submi- and this is crazy. He is respecting and submitting himself to who? The people who have taken him in captive into this land. The people who made him a eunuch. Those are not people that would be high on my priority of people I'd like to respect and submit to, right? So we think about this in our land. It's 4th of July weekend. As citizens of this United States of America... Like, we are not to dare to be a Daniel by, by disobeying our government unless our government blatantly violates God's word. But even then, like, we are certainly not called biblically to be jerks, which means that we need to be civil, respectful in tone, in action, in attitude toward who's ever on Capitol Hill, Republican or Democrat, Right? And we need to be respectful in tone and word and action to all of our fellow citizens, regardless if they agree with you on Roe v. Wade or not. What does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven here on earth? We work within the system that God's placed us into. So in a, in a democratic republic, we can vote. Actually, we sh- I think we should. I think we should give our voice. We should be a part of the political process. And yeah, we don't put our first allegiance there, right? And, and so for us, what is it? We do so in a manner that reflects our true citizenship. And so in this world, we exhibit the character of our King Jesus. We bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So whatever we do, the way we do something, guys, is as important as what we're doing. So whatever it is I'm doing, am I doing it with patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness? And ultimately, it's relaxing into the sovereignty of the God who we're remembering is still on the throne, following our own personal convictions as we live here, but not pushing it on all the people around us. So I just want to ask you this morning, like, what are some areas you've been compromising in? So like Daniel, we can't just resolve to change and like kind of leave it there. Like, I don't want to do that anymore, right? To follow our convictions requires action. So the question is, what are we going to do about these things? So, and that's up to the Holy Spirit. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Like, 
he's convicting you, and, and he'll tell you what needs to happen next. But what I would say is, what's, what's, what are you going to do next about that? Like, our habits are what form us. So what habit changes need to happen in our lives? Maybe for you, if it is a control issue, if, you, if things are coming up about the entertainment that you're watching, the lust, uh, pornography, food, uh, social media, whatever it is, one practice that we've been given biblically is to fast. And to maybe say this week, I'm going to choose to fast one meal. And, and, it's, and one of the things that that practice does is it teaches our heart. We're not dependent on those things. We're dependent on the king. That our ultimate treasure is not found in Babylon. It's found in Christ. And I'm going to and, and skip that meal to remind my body of that. I'm not, I'm not a slave to these indulgences. And in fact, I'm going to use that time to pray for people in this world that are without, people who lack, and think about others instead of about indulging my, myself. Maybe it's how do I instill some rhythms into my life to remember where my true citizenship lies. Maybe it's we, we use our time differently than the world. I'm going, to, I'm going to sacrifice by getting up 10 minutes earlier. Right? Instead of sleeping, hitting the snooze, I'm going to spend 10 minutes talking with God. I'm going to thank him for three things every day this week that he's given me. I'm, I'm going to read a psalm and just praise him. I'm going, to, I'm going to find one song each day that reorients my heart to Jesus. I'm going to make, make a point once this week to get together as a family and, and sing a song together, read the Bible together, just remind our family where our true citizenship lies. Maybe for you it's that this show needs to get deleted off of my queue. What, whatever it is the Spirit's convicting you into, this is an invitation to repent, to turn back, to come back and, 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 and to say, yep, I've been compromising. Because these are subtle tactics. Today it's this one small thing. Before you know it, you're going to get way down the road and look back and go, how in the world did I get here? But, but, victory over Babylon requires much more than just our own resolve. Because if all, we, all we're left with here today is grit your teeth, make a habit change, and go do it, right? That's outward moralism that, that in itself will fail. What we need, if we're going to truly be faithful in exile, is to be reminded of the gospel. And that's where I want to land the plane. Number three, we must rely on the true and better Daniel. The true and better Daniel. So Daniel's hope, ultimately here, was not his faithfulness, his resolve to be faithful to God. Ultimately, Daniel's hope here was that his God would be gracious and merciful and faithful to him and to his buddies. You notice in verse 2, it said, the Lord gave, the Lord gave Judah over to Babylon. That same word is used in verse 9 when it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion. That word compassion is mercy. God gave Daniel mercy in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The only reason we see here that the chief of the eunuchs even entertained such an outlandish request is because God gave him mercy in that guy's sight. And I, what I love here is, is that it's not just merciful for your harsh captives to, to listen to you and be kind, and it's not just merciful for eating vegetables to somehow make you look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which is also pretty crazy, right? Look at the third thing that God gives them here. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. God gives them mercy to rise to the top. 
that they stand out among the rest, God is going to, by his grace, uniquely place Daniel and his friends in Babylon for a very specific reason. And we'll see that play out in the rest of the story. But what's amazing here is he puts them there to, to, and, and gives them the grace to be faithful to him and a blessing to the very people who have captured them. And we're going to watch that as the story goes forward. So I want us to be encouraged this morning that whatever God's calling you into, to follow your own convictions faithfully to God, to be civilized to the people around you showing Jesus' love, he will never ask us something of which he does not provide the grace to be able to walk in. And how does that happen? My favorite verse of this chapter is the last verse. It kind of seems like a throwaway line, but I think this is huge. Verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. He was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is that important? Well, this is sev- we're fast-forwarding 70 years ahead, which is how long God said they would be in Babylon. Cyrus is the one who's going to issue a decree to bring Daniel's people home. In 70 years, Nebuchadnezzar, he gone. Babylon, they gone. And in fact, Cyrus is the king of Persia. Persia is gobbled up. In 70 years, the greatest empire in the world world is, is no longer in control. Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. Kings and kingdoms, they all pass away. But there is something. There is something about the name of the God, of Daniel, of Yahweh. But here's the danger, guys. The danger of this is we can, we can have this story, and, and here the, there's a creepy kid song called Dare to be a Daniel, right? If you want to YouTube it, it's, it, go for it. The arrogant ones in the room like me, right, can, can just say, okay, I've got to be like Daniel, and I am like Daniel. I will resolve. I will not give in. I will not give in to this world. I'm going to take a stand. And then there's insecure ones in the room that go, I should be like Daniel, but I am not like Daniel, right? I can never be like Daniel. Um, the Bible is not just a collection of moral fables, with conclusions. Be like Daniel. Again, that's moralism. And that would leave the arrogant ones delusional, and it leaves the insecure ones in despair. And that's not what the gospel gives us. Listen, you and I in this story, we're not Daniel, right? We're the faithless ones who were in exile in Babylon because of our own sin. In fact, Daniel's not even a Daniel, right? All have fallen short. I love what Ian Duguid says. The good news is not that God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. That would leave none of us, right? I will only give favor on those who have left themselves undefiled in Babylon, who have remained faithful to me. They'd be an empty roster. The good news, the good news is that the true and better Daniel came to deliver those who are faithless and defiled just like you and me. That God gave his undeserved favor, mercy, and grace How did he show us that? He gave his only son into this world. And Jesus was the only one. As he went into exile for us, like Daniel went into exile, Jesus is the only one who remained pure and undefiled. The only one that didn't give in to the compromises of Babylon. He defeated Babylon on our behalf and became a blessing to the very people who captured him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That he loved us even when we were his enemies opposed to him. And it's interesting, in the book of Daniel, Babylon calls Daniel Belshazzar. They refer to him that throughout the book. But if you read the rest of the book, Daniel never refers to himself as Belshazzar. He calls himself Daniel. 
because he knows Babylon doesn't get to name me. Babylon doesn't get to identify me. My God does. And maybe you come into this room this morning feeling broken and named by the world, that you feel that, that, that you, I am undefiled, that I am, in, I, I am defiled, I am impure, right? I am a failure, I am faithless, I am worthless, I am unseen, I am ugly. That is Babylon's name for you, and that is a lie. What we know is I'm going to call myself what my God calls me, who I am in the person of Christ. And in Christ, I am accepted and beloved. In Christ, I am f- I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted now and forever. I am a daughter or a son of the King. I am his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Not in my own efforts, in who Christ is for me. The true and better Daniel made me acceptable before my God. My king gets to tell me what my name is, and therefore my king tells me how I live in this world, tells me how and what I eat, tells me how I spend my time, tells me how I spend my money, tells me what I should watch and what I shouldn't watch. I trust my king, and he's faithful to me even when I don't. Let's go into Babylon, not becoming like Babylon, but shining a light into Babylon so they would know their good and gracious king. Would you pray with me? Father God, We live in a crazy world, a world that has fallen, that has walked away from you, but we're no better. We are all sinners that have fallen short, and our only hope was that you gave your son in our place that we could be accepted in your sight as a child in Jesus. And now, Lord, as a part of this this new kingdom, we just pray that your will be done, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, and that we would go into this world as a light into the darkness that you would show us how to follow our own spirit-given, word-defined convictions, but to do so in a way that exhibits your love, Father. We just want to be faithful to what you've called us to, to go into this world and reach the lost in the name of Jesus. But Father, we start with recognizing our own inability. Lord, that you would cleanse us, that we come before you freely confessing our sins, knowing that you freely forgive us of our sins in Jesus. And as we are so captivated by the beauty of what we have in Jesus and the gospel, that that cup of love would overflow into this world and call people graciously, mercifully into receiving that same forgiveness and to be able to start to live the same kind of flourishing life that we can only find in Christ. And in him, we can be faithful in Babylon by his name and all God's people said.